Now, this is uh, just to catch you up. It's been since November since we've been in the book of John. Uh, you may remember the last message I preached. Some of you remember it well. It was not a very pleasant uh, message to hear or write or deliver. It was titled, Why the World Hates Christians. And uh, as, as Jesus ended, uh, as, as, as John ends chapter 14, or 15 and into 16, he's just continuing to, uh, to prepare his disciples for what the, the attacks are going to be upon them as, as he leaves. <clears throat> but now I'm going to him who sent me, he says, none of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is good for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove to the world, prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than I can now, you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Heavenly Father, uh, we ask that you would open our hearts to your word, uh, that we would we would receive what you have for each and every one of us today. Change us, I pray, in Jesus' name, to be more like you. Amen. Um, we believe in the triune God here. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It is a somewhat complex theology uh, that there are three gods in one God, there are three distinct personalities, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are all God. They are the God, the one true God, and yet the one true God exists in three separate personalities. Um, what does that mean? Well, you know, that's one of those the theological truths, those spiritual truths. You just have to accept it for what it is. That's, that's faith. Uh, it's seeing uh, believing without seeing, believing without truly understanding. The Holy Spirit is a person. Notice throughout this passage, he refers to the Holy Spirit as he. He. Um, without getting into gender neutrality or things that are beyond the scope of this course, it, take it as this. The Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus refers to him as he. Sadly, um, we can... Uh, myself included, be guilty of, uh, of kind of packaging or even um, uh, 
creating, putting the Holy Spirit, if you will, in a, in a box. And by that, I mean, uh, we limit our teaching to the Holy Spirit uh, through, through the book of Acts or through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. And, and our teaching kind of starts and stays in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we believe is a second work of the Holy Spirit. And, and then we spend a lot of time uh, talking on, uh, teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what the gifts of the Spirit and what that means and how that happens. And, and, um, and the truth is the Holy Spirit is throughout the Bible. It's not just in Acts. It's not just a New Testament teaching. Uh, he, he changes throughout the Bible. But for example, in, in Genesis chapter one, the very first of, of, uh, paragraph of the Bible, it, it says that, that the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. Before creation, the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. In Exodus chapter 31, we see the Holy Spirit coming on a man named uh, Bezalel uh, to build the temple. In, in Numbers chapter 11, the Holy Spirit sets his hand on 70 leaders that will come up alongside Moses in the book of Judges, we began to see the Holy Spirit moving upon individuals at, at, at individual times, like Gideon, uh, like Samson. In 1 Samuel, we see uh, the Holy Spirit coming upon Saul, who was the first king of Israel. And then as David is anointed as the next king of Israel, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And we could go on and on and on throughout the Old Testament, and we would see the ministry uh, of God... Uh, falling on, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, individual people at individual times uh, to accomplish the purposes of God. The book of Acts is where we see that the Holy Spirit poured out on all people, and, and we see a, a shift in his role after Jesus ascends to heaven. Um, and, and then again, we, sometimes we, we would have a a tendency to look at the book of Acts as our, as our place to see the Holy Spirit in action, and that's just not the case either. In fact, throughout the book of John, we have seen the Holy Spirit in action. John chapter 3 and verse 6, the Holy Spirit gives new life. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Later in that chapter, chapter, we see that the Holy Spirit empowers men to give testimony. The one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us power to worship him in John chapter 4 and verse 24. So the, the Spirit moves. How do we, why do we worship the way we do here at Mill City Church? It's because we are a Spirit-filled church, and the, the Spirit moves on us to worship him the way God desires to be worshiped. That's why you see people with their hands raised. That's why you, you hear people uh, praising God, uh, uh, singing out loud. It's not a concert here. It's participatory. That's a big word. You like that? Daryl, you're going to use that this week. It's participatory. It means you participate. <laughs> Have you used cantata? You remember? We went to a concert, and, and uh, this guy's from the South, and he talked about the old Easter cantata. Does anybody remember? Anybody? The cantata. Cantata. Such a funny word, cantata. We don't use it anymore. And Daryl left, and he's like, I'm going to use that word this week. 
<laughs> That's not in my notes. The Holy Spirit desires that believers would move, would be moved by the Holy Spirit, would move and walk by the Spirit. John chapter 7, whoever believes in me, as the Spirit has said, rivers of living water flow from within them. How do you know what to say? How do you know where to go? How do you know what's going on in the moment when you're interacting with someone? It's the Holy Spirit that is flowing through you. And the Holy Spirit helps us, as we saw in John chapter 14. I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you and will be with you forever. So the Holy Spirit's found not just in Acts, not just in the New Testament. It's throughout the entire Bible. But in this passage here in John chapter 16, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I would submit to you the value of the Holy Spirit in your life. And this is, I would say, beyond the baptism. This isn't a teaching on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is a teaching on the Holy Spirit, which as a believer, every single one of us has on deposit inside us. And so the first ministry of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus is teaching here, is to help us. The Holy Spirit is here to help us. Paul says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Paul says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, but it's the Holy Spirit that is working through us. The Holy Spirit is praying through us. So the Holy Spirit is here to help us. Verse four, I have told you this so that when their time comes, that's the world, You'll remember that I warned you about them. I didn't tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. Now, this is kind of interesting here. He says, none of you asks me, where are you going? And it's kind of, uh, it's kind of like you can, you can feel it. There's a disappointment, it, it, it feels like, from Jesus. He's like, you know, you guys, you're not even asking. I'm telling you, I'm leaving. And you're not even asking me, where are you going? And, and, and I would suggest probably the reason is because they, they think he's here, the kingdom of God is here. And they're like, sweet, where's my room in the palace? They don't understand he's leaving or, or they're trying to get a grip. So now, wait a second, I thought you were here to do this. And now you're telling me you're, you're leaving what happened to all my plans? I thought I was going to be governing this territory. I thought I was going to be right here at your right, and, and my brother was going to be on your left. And, and they're sad because he's leaving, but I would say their sadness and disappointment is, is really couched more in their misunderstanding of the kingdom of God. And he knows, Jesus knows that they're going to, sh they're going to make a shift. There's going to be a breakthrough in their understanding, and they have purpose and he knows that they're going to need help. And so he says, but very truly, I tell you, it is good for you that I am going. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit is not your crazy uncle that nobody wants to talk about. The Holy Spirit is your helper. 
he comes alongside you. In fact, he is, li he is living with you, whether you realize it or not. He's not in prison somewhere. He is living inside you. And he's here to help you. The ESV puts it this way. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. You see, this triune God, this, the second part, Jesus the Son, is God submitting himself supernaturally to the cavity of human flesh and blood. Jesus was a human. He was God in human form. He can't be anywhere but one place, just like you and I can't be anywhere but one place. So he's not telling, the, he says, I was with you, so I didn't have to tell you all this stuff. But now I'm leaving, I'm not going to be with you, and you're going to need my help. And it's actually good that I'm leaving because in, in my submissive decision to obey God the Father... I could only be in one place at one time, but my purposes, the purposes of God are so big that we need God's presence everywhere. And that's the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. That's what Paul means in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 when he says, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and you receive that from God. Your spiritual eyes have been open. And, and prior to, and perhaps you're, you're not a Christian. Maybe you're, maybe you're here today for whatever reason and, and you've just never made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And so I'm telling you these things and you're like, God in three persons, God submitting human form, Jesus was God. I, I'm not sure I'm down with that. And I'll tell you the reason is because your spiritual eyes have not been open. And, and, and we've seen it time and time again as people submit, they choose to believe. And all of a sudden, supernaturally, it makes sense. I believe that. And, and so you read the Bible and, and before you didn't really understand it and after that you're like, wow, you mean that's in the Bible? Yeah, that's, and so much more. Your spiritual eyes are open. Your, temp, your body then it is, becomes the temple of the living God. That's why Paul doesn't, Paul, all Paul's letters in the New Testament are written to the churches of the New Testament. And he never writes, he never writes letters to sinners. He writes letters to the saints. Why? Because they are now righteous, the righteousness of God. They have become believers. The Holy Spirit takes up residence inside them. They are saints. Now, they're still jacked up because we're human and we do stupid stuff. Anytime you get a bunch of Christians together, it's a mess. And that's why a lot of, I mean, most of Paul's letters are, are kind of reprimands to the churches. 
In fact, in the book of Revelation, the seven letters written to the churches, only two of them did Jesus say, you're doing a great job. The other five, you guys are messed up and you need to listen to me. Okay, so it's not about your sin. It's about what's actually happened. That's why it's good that he went because we need help, don't we? We need help. The Holy Spirit is here to help you. There's a second uh, facet of his, uh, of his ministry. The Holy Spirit comes to convict unbelievers regarding sin. When he comes, verse 8, he will prove to, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, did you realize that you did not come to that belief on your own? That wasn't you. Paul writes this in Romans chapter three, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. No, no human being comes to God on their own. Again, it's a spiritual truth. It is what it is. And you can argue it all day long, but you can't chapter and verse it like I can to counterpoint you. Um, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. How does the Father draw them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and perhaps we should change this, go back to the slide with the title of this, uh, uh, of this point. The Holy Spirit convinces unbelievers regarding sin. Maybe that's a better word. The Holy Spirit draws men and women to himself. And it's a similar fashion, it's a similar word picture to Genesis chapter one was the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit is hovering over this building. The Holy Spirit is hovering over Nina, Wisconsin. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the Fox River Valley. And what he's doing is he's it's like he's knocking on the door and he's chipping away at your unbelief. And he's beginning to loosen binds and unlock chains. And it prepares your heart to receive the word. Now notice here he says, the world. I might challenge some of your theology today because mine certainly has been this week. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. about sin 
because people do not believe in me. Jesus is not talking to his disciples in, he's not talking about his disciples in this part of the conversation. He's categorizing who, who the, he's, he's teaching about them, the world. He shifts to you in a few minutes. We'll get to that. He's talking about the world. So Jesus is saying that the world is who he's pursuing. In the ESV, it says, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. He's preparing their hearts. The Holy Spirit is hovering and he's preparing hearts to hear what? About sin because people do not believe in me. Now notice he says he's not convicting believers and it doesn't say he's convicting them about sins, plural. This is where I'm gonna challenge you, I believe. He says the world about sin. Now look at the, the New Living Translation. It says, he will convict the world of its sin. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Now, if you've been in church very long, you will know that um, not all behaviors are sinful. I'm going to tiptoe into some into a danger zone here, okay? Um, for everyone, Paul talks about that. For some, this. For some, that. He talks about like eating meat. I can eat whatever I want, whether it's been offered as to an idol or not. It doesn't matter to me because I know there's only one true God. But for someone who came out of that lifestyle, they see me eating meat that's been offered to idols and it drags them down. So in that way, it's not sinful for him, but because it, it, it has a negative effect on a, a fellow brother or sister, then it kind of becomes sin, right? So probably the most popular one that we have uh, is, is alcohol. Certainly one that's rapidly approaching is marijuana. Okay, so, uh, but alcohol is, is uh, socially acceptable. It's not against the law. There's a fine line between um, having a drink and being drunk. The Bible says drunkenness is, is sinful, but you know, where's the line? You know, I could probably drink eight or nine and I'd be just fine because that's my bend, right? Whereas Jay could probably have, you know, half a glass and he'd be under the table. <laughs> 
Uh, you know, th that's what I'm talking about here. <clears throat> but here he says, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. So this kind of eliminates all of those other things is, is my point here. What are we talking about? Jesus says this in Mark chapter three. This is really, really important. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Some refer to it as the unforgivable sin. What is that? Blasphemy, you mean if I said GD, that's blaspheming God, and so now I've been, I can't, no, that's not what he's talking about. What we believe here is that when someone has been presented the gospel of Jesus Christ and they have rejected it, that is the unpardonable sin. And here's why, just in a, in a foundational statement. There is only one sacrifice for sin. It's death. The wages of sin is death. And every single one of us has that bill due because there's no one righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through who? Jesus Christ. There's only one sacrifice. And if you have rejected that sacrifice, there is no penalty for your sins. You have to pay it through eternal damnation in a place called hell where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so when you die, if you have rejected the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, there is no other option. There is no penalty or there is no, there is no uh, price that, you, that has been paid for you and you will spend eternity separated from God in outer darkness. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. The work of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convince you, is to convince you that there is a God. There is one true God and he is a good God and he loves you more than you could ever imagine. And he has a plan for your life. And it's an amazing plan. And that plan begins with accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit's ministry to the unbeliever is to work in your heart, to draw you to himself, to, to, to take those layers of unbelief off and to penetrate the, the, the hardest heart. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Today, if you hear the Spirit's voice, don't harden 
your heart. And, and what that means is you hear it and you hear it and you taste it as he says. You've, you've looked at it, you've observed it, you've experienced it. So much so that you convince yourself that you're good. I'm good. Oh, I know all about that. Oh, yeah, I, I've heard that before. Oh, yeah, 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 I've got that. But here's the deal. You've immunized yourself against salvation because you've just got enough to taste it. But you've never accepted it. And today, that could be you. Maybe you find yourself in this church right now and, and you've been just close enough to just get a taste and to absorb a little bit of it. But the truth is this, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And the day is today. Today could be the day where you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit is working right now on your heart, allowing you to believe. That's part of his ministry. And it's a critical part of his ministry. There's a third. The Holy Spirit convicts believers of our righteousness in Christ. Verse 10 says, about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Now, here's where he shifts from they and the world to you. <clears throat> and we've taught on this I mean, time and time again. We've taught on it several times, even this year already throughout the book of John. And I mean, that was like every week in Galatians. When you're saved, when you are saved, you are no longer unrighteous. You are the righteousness of God. That's a spiritual truth. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul describes it in this way. Since you have been raised with Christ. See that past tense? Have been. You have been. If I'm talking to believers right now. You have been raised with Christ. That's why baptism by immersion is scriptural, biblical, and baptism, I'm sorry, baptism by sprinkling is not biblical. It is not scriptural. It is false, dare I say, religion. Perhaps I'm grabbing some roots today, which is fine. Just tell me the truth. Let me deal with it, okay? Immersion, why? Because it is symbolic of a spiritual truth. You have died. You have died. He says it right there. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. For you died. You are buried underwater. 
and now you have risen, you have been raised with Christ. It's just symbolic of a spiritual truth. And when you do it in public, everybody knows, hey, he's a Christian. Hey, he loves Jesus. Hey, he's not his own anymore. God has saved him. Woo, that's awesome. No better place to do that than in a church where people are gonna cheer you on and say, that's me. And oh, by the way, it's the only thing that Jesus says to do specifically. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them everything else. So if we're not teaching baptism after salvation, not for, it's after salvation, we are teaching extra biblical theology, which is false religion. Whew, I'm gonna have to, kind of sweating up here. I see no angry eyebrows in the name of Jesus, amen. Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. When you're a believer, you're crucified with Christ. Remember, Paul's writing to Christians. And it doesn't mean they're sinless, because we know they're all jacked up, just like you are, Asher. <laughs> just like I am. We all are. But part of the role of the, the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is to convince you you are righteous. You are righteous before God. Now, we often teach that the, the part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict you of sin. Now, here's where I was really challenged this, this, this week. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of their sin. Now, the parents in the room, can you imagine... And I'm guilty of this. You just point out all the faults in your children. You never do this, you never do this, you never do this, you never do this. You always do that, you always do that. This is this. I think the Bible says fathers don't exasperate your children. I think that's in the Bible. None of this never says anything about mothers. Because <laughs> they're so perfect. <laughs> right, Elizabeth? Can you imagine if, if the Holy Spirit living inside you just pointed out all your faults? You never do this. You always do that. You never do this. Don't do this. Don't do that. that. You know what that sounds a lot like? The accuser of the brethren. Now, that's not to say that the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, through prayer, through relationship with the church, doesn't reveal things that need to go. But the truth is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the righteousness of God. And the Holy Spirit is living inside you, trying to convince you that there is therefore no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's his job to convince you that you are a new creation in him. He's not there to condemn you. Your sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future. All of your sin, all of the sin of all of humanity was nailed to the cross 
and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your sin is nailed to that cross, past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. All of it covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now you might ask, well, does that mean that my good works don't count? Well, they don't count toward your salvation. That was a good opportunity, Ron. (laughs) Your good works, which are prepared in advance for you to do, have a reward but they have no bearing on your salvation. Because if they did, imagine. Well, we had a funeral here this week and it was a sudden, very unexpected, tragic. But let's just just say, I have a heart condition that has been exposed and diagnosed, praise God. But let's say this week I have a heart attack and I drop dead. And in the moment, I'm all fired up over some client issue or some bank, or I'm, I'm on the highway and somebody cuts me off. Guess what I think in my... The same thing you do, Derek. (laughs) Now, if I'm dependent upon my good works for my salvation, I'm screwed. And so are you. But praise God, our salvation is not rooted in you. It's rooted in him. Fourth, and and we'll wrap, we'll we'll bring this in for a landing pretty quick here. The worship team cannot come yet, though. (laughs) Holy Spirit reminds us as believers that Satan is defeated. The end of the book has already been written. Spoiler alert, you can find it. It's already, it's done. Praise God. What a crazy week. What a horrible, horrible thing that's happening in our world. And our friends in the news media are not helping us. They're fanning the flames of fear. And I want to remind you, you are to be the non-anxious individual in the domain where God has planted you. Because fear is not of God. About judgment, because the prince of the world is now condemned. Who's the prince of the world? Satan? 
The current events, the destruction, the wars, rumors of wars, sickness, death, all is rooted in sin, is rooted in uh, a, san a satanic spiritual darkness that is part of this world. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this world is not your home. That enemy has been, it's, it's, it's past tense, defeated. Judgment will come. There is another life, praise God. There is another world. It's going to be a new world. A new world, a new heaven, a new earth where there will be no more sickness, there will be no more death, and he will wipe away every tear, praise God, because the enemy is defeated and the Holy Spirit can build that confidence in you as you go about your work, as you go into your home, you go to the workplace, you go to the marketplace, and you carry with you a non-anxious presence about you and people will say, how in the world can you do that? Well, the Holy Spirit's living inside me. I got no problems here. You could die of COVID. You could die of a heart attack. You could get T-boned right out here, right in front of State Farm. <laughs> right, Paul? <laughs> but not in front of American family. There's nothing happening in front of American family. And you know what? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to die is gain. But to live is Christ. So if Christ is living inside you, you can be that non-anxious person just walking about sharing the love of Jesus, the Holy Spirit moving through you. Fifth, the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. But when he, the spirit of all truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. The worship team can now come. <laughs> he guides us. He leads us. Who in this room doesn't need wisdom from above? Who doesn't need understanding? Who doesn't need insight? You need the power of God living through you. The understanding of God for every situation. The wisdom of God to know what to do, when to do it, how to say it, when not to speak, husbands in the room. How wonderful is it that the God of the universe doesn't stay silent, but instead speaks to us and leads us and guides us. I have an assignment for you. And guess what? I've prepared the way for you. I'm going to go before you and I'm going to lead you and I'm going to help you, help you just have insight to see what's actually going on, to get to the root of the problem, to help the people around you. I'm going to give you that wisdom. He fills us with his Holy Spirit so that we can have that. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, what? The things that God has prepared for those who love him. How? They are revealed by his spirit. The spirit of God reveals these things to us. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we've received is not the Spirit of the world. No, it is the Spirit who is from God. So that we can understand what God has freely given us. 
This is what we speak, not words taught to us by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Why do, we, why do we have such disagreement with the world? Why is it that we hear things on the news and we hear people on, on the talk shows and, and, and the advice that's given on, 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 out of the world? Why? Because it's not spirit led. It is the world's wisdom. Dr. Spock, are you kidding me? What does he know? I know the one true God, the living God, the living, breathing word of God who helps me to parent, who helps me to be the kind of husband I need to be, who helps me to be the kind of businessman I need to be, who helps me to be the kind of pastor I need to be, who helps me in everything. I have the word of God living and breathing. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is there to help and lead and guide and help me to understand the spirit of God living inside me. That's why before you, you know God, you read the Bible. Just, I don't even understand that. But when he's alive in you, part of his ministry is to open up your spiritual eyes so that you can receive exactly what you need in the moment. God is not silent. He speaks to us every single day. And he wants you to hear him. Henry Blackaby says there's four primary ways that God speaks. He speaks through his word. Why in the world we could go a day, a day without picking up God's word? It blows me away. He speaks through prayer. That's conversation with him. And, and when, when I say things like, you know, the, I felt the, the spirit of the Lord speaking to my heart, that's through prayer. That's him impressing upon my heart things that are from him. He speaks through the church. That's us. That's each other. It's one of the great values of being a part of a body because you, you know people. People know you. They can speak into your situation uh, and, and why you, when you're, you're a believer and you're out on your own, you're an orphan. You don't have the help of God's church. And he speaks through circumstances. This is happening. I don't, what do I do when this door's open? Is this door open? God leading me here? Was I trying to do this? No, you need, you, you hear from God. You know, God was speaking to his disciples the whole three years he was, he was with them. And he was telling them the same thing. But just like us, and you know, the, the disciples, they get a bad rap sometimes, but you and I would be doing the exact same thing they did. He told them the same thing. They just had their minds on earthly palace. That's my room. That's my job. That's my territory. And he was speaking to them the whole time and their eyes were over here looking at something totally different. Finally, the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ in us, to us. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I say the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known 
to you. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit shows us Jesus. He shows us Jesus. And, and I, I've got some scriptures here that can kind of hopefully give us a glimpse here and, and, and narrow this down. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. High and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Wow, I saw God. I saw you. Eyes are open. It's Jesus. And perhaps you've never seen a vision of Jesus. I have not. But, but what comes with a revelation of, how about this, who Jesus is comes with a reverence and an awe, a humility. What was Isaiah's response? Whoa. Oh my goodness. I am nothing. I got nothing. In Luke chapter 5, Peter sees a miracle on the boat. All you fishermen, yeah, you can have a, an encounter with God on the lake. <laughs> Peter did. But Peter's response was the same. Oh my goodness, I can't even be in your presence. I'm so far from you. What does that mean? You know, that's humility. I can't do this on my own. I'm so far from, I need you. You are amazing, God. I worship you. I fall at my knees. I worship you. I lift up my hands. I need you in every way, every day. Daniel had a similar experience in Daniel chapter 10. He's the only one that saw it, but everybody else heard it and they fleed. And he fell flat. John, Revelation chapter 1. When I saw him, I was out. When the Holy Spirit gives you a glimpse of Jesus, you understand, whew, I'm in the presence of God. There's a reverence there. There's an awe there. There's a humility there. You know, Jesus didn't leave Peter when he said, "Get a, you know, woe is me. Hey, flee from me. I, I can't even be in your presence. No, you know what? He said, I can be in your presence because you are coming to me. You are seeing me in the way you need to see me. And what did he do? He stayed and he stayed close and he poured in. 
and he used him. And the opposite of that is pride. God can't use pride. The Holy Spirit builds in us a humility that God can and will use. What's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? He helps us. He convinces the world of their sin that he is real. He convicts us, convinces us of our righteousness in him. He reminds us that our enemy is defeated. He guides us into all truth and he glorifies Jesus in us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. The purpose that you have given to each and every one of us through you. And God, I pray right now for every person in this room. For those who do not know you, who have not made that decision, who are on the fence, who perhaps have been on the fence for years. Maybe that's you. You've been to church. You've been in services. You've heard the gospel. You've just never accepted it. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter. What matters is you hear it right now. There's a God. There's one God. He's crazy about you. And he loves you so much that he brought you into this place right here, right now, so that you could hear how much he loves you, that there is a plan for you. That plan begins with accepting Jesus as the sacrifice for your sin. And there is no other sacrifice that's acceptable that you can trade. And the Holy Spirit has been hovering over this place, hovering over this room, and he's knocking on the door. He's trying to convince you of his reality. But you have to take a step. It's called faith. Take a step of belief. I will choose to believe that to be true. Faith is believing without seeing. It's the Holy Spirit's job to draw you. Will you accept him today? To the believer, I would ask you, do you understand that you are the righteousness of God? Are you wrestling with condemnation? Are you giving in to the lies that you're not good enough? That perhaps that sacrifice wasn't enough to cover all of your sin and day by day you wrestle with the confidence that you are the righteousness of God. That penalty was enough. It is finished. And the Holy Spirit is knocking on your door. Perhaps he's banging on from the inside of the, the room of your heart saying, 
it is enough. And I love you. And you don't need to walk around defeated. No, you walk around with victory. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he did. Praise God.